Welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In this session, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And this is really a continuation of the preceding paragraph, as well as the whole section that began in the middle of chapter 4, where Paul is calling the original audience and us to to really live out the new culture of Jesus. Now that we're part of his family, now that we're part of his kingdom, there's some things that used to be part of the previous way we did life. We've got to set those aside, and we need to, therefore, put on a new approach to life, a new way of living. And so he's been calling us and giving specific examples of the kinds of things we need to set aside and the kinds of things we need to put on. Here, this paragraph is, in a very real sense, a concluding paragraph to that put off, put on, don't do this, do this sort of approach. This is the concluding paragraph to that. And then the transition or springboard paragraph for the next major section of the letter, which has to do with life in the Christian family and the Christian home. And so this paragraph wraps up putting off and putting on uh, the new, new culture of Christ and leads into how to live as a Christian family. The main point of this section is simply this, act wisely by being controlled by the Spirit. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, and again, notice, therefore, which clearly connects it with the preceding paragraph, therefore indicates a statement of conclusion, really, from everything else that has been said. So we're, we're beginning the concluding paragraph, wrapping up his preceding thoughts. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. That's Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, and he says to be careful how you walk, which in some ways is really kind of a weak or watered-down translation. When he talks about how you walk, he's talking about that dominant metaphor of going about your life, right? Like in the ancient world, that's how you got from place to place. That's how you moved from, you know, the marketplace to the gymnasium, back to your house. You walked pretty much everywhere you went, and so it became this picture of going about your life. So, be careful how you walk means be careful about how you go about your life. But the word the, uh, or the translation be careful is fairly weak. Literally what he says is pay attention to, watch. That's the idea. Watch how you walk would be really a, a stronger uh, translation, a more accurate translation. It's, it's from the word to look or to see. And so it has to do with pay attention to how you walk. Keep an eye on how you walk. That's the idea. And so it's not just a general, oh, be careful. It's, you know, be aware, be mindful of, and keep an eye on how you go about your life. Don't just kind of drift through life. Don't just kind of coast about your life, right? You don't drift into discipleship to Jesus. You don't coast into Christ's likeness. It's going to take some intentional effort. It's going to take some awareness. So you got to pay attention to how you go about your life. And he says, be careful or pay attention to how you walk, not as unwise men and women, but as wise. And so don't go about your life in an unwise sort of way. You pay attention and you make sure you organize and arrange your life so that you can carry it out with wisdom. Um, and then he gives one specific thing he has in mind about that. Like, what's it going to take 
How are you going to pay attention to your walk? And how are you going to make sure you're living wisely? Uh, he says in verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And so pay attention to how you walk. Make sure you're carrying out your life with wisdom. Uh, that requires you to make the most of your time because the days are evil. Literally, the phrase making the most of your time is redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And uh, the, the idea of redeeming is to buy something's freedom, right? Like to pay a price to set something free. Redemption always had kind of a liberation, a freeing um, connotation to it. And so when we say making the most of your time, it doesn't just mean being good at time management, although that's going to be important probably. You're going to, you can't just waste and fritter your time away, right? If you're going to be careful how you walk and be wise, but it means more than that. It's the idea of Buying up the time for God's purposes, liberating the time from the evil days, right? Like life, these days, evil has taken over the days, which means evil has co-opted time for its evil purposes. And our job as God's people is to set it free from evil. And so we redeem the time. We we liberate it from evil by doing good, by doing right, by being wise. That's the idea of this. And so pay attention to how you walk. Carry out your life, right? Like do it not as an unwise person. Make sure you're living wisely in this present evil age. And that requires you to be mindful of your time and how you use your time. and Setting time free from evil and the evil of the world around us and using it for good and for God's good purposes. So then, verse 17 says, here's, here's some specific application. Here's some specific ideas he has in mind. Here's a conclusion, verse 17. So then, therefore then, do not be foolish. Foolish is the exact opposite of being wise, right? So you don't want to be unwise, i.e. you don't want to be foolish. You want to be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That word understand, its specific focus is have insight into what the will of the Lord is. Um, that we need to live as we redeem the time according to what God wants with our life, what God's purposes are, what God's plans are. So we need to make sure we have insight into, we grasp and see and discern what God wants done, understand what the will of the Lord is, what, what God's purposes are in this world, in your specific circumstances in this world, have insight into that. Figure that out. Discern God's will. He says in verse 18, And don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Interesting, this contrast between being drunk with wine, being filled with the Spirit. There's been quite a bit of scholarly speculation about why Paul goes to being drunk with wine, particularly in view of the context here. Some have speculated, maybe he's thinking specifically of some of the, the ancient religious festivals such as Dionysius, where there was lots of drinking and drunkenness and wine that flowed freely in that. And so part of their religious worship was actually kind of almost like drunken orgies and that. Nah, don't do that. And Obviously, certainly that's appropriate. Whether he has that specific of a context in mind, it's just not clear. I think we can just say, wherever the drunkenness shows up, don't do it, right? Like, don't get drunk with wine or anything else. Don't be drunk. Why? Well, he says, because that's dissipation. What is dissipation? Dissipation is just sort of unruly, wild, thoughtless, 
careless approach to life. Like drunkenness leads to foolishness. Drunkenness leads to bad decision making. Drunkenness leads to uh, inappropriate living. We all know this. Maybe some of us have lived that and experienced it. We certainly see it in so many of our TV shows and our movies, right? Like that will often be the context for some crisis or bad thing that happens that leads then to the story that unfolds in the movie or the TV show um, that drunkenness leads to dissipation. So don't get drunk with wine because that does not lead to wise, godly uh, living. That leads to actually being complicit with evil, living out the evil days rather than actually setting them free from that. So don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Um, Isn't this interesting? He's writing to Christians who he knows already have the Spirit. Um, He knows if he were to know you personally, would know you have the Spirit. I have the Spirit. Like, right, being a Christian is to be filled with the Spirit, to have the Spirit. So what does he mean by be filled with the Spirit? And I think this is where the con, uh, the contrast with drunk with wine helps us get some clear clarity. Um, to be drunk with wine is to be so full of it that you're controlled by it, right? Like it's controlling your thinking. It's controlling what you're doing. I think that's the, uh, in the, the contrast here, I think that's what's implied. Be filled with the Spirit means to be so full of the Spirit that you are controlled by Him. You're controlled by his wisdom. You're controlled by his will. You're controlled by his ways. You're controlled by his purposes and values. Be full of the Spirit so that you are led by and controlled by the Spirit. Um, In fact, in Greek, the command be filled, it's a command, it's an imperative, so be filled. It's a present tense command, which in the Greek language has less to do with time and more to do with kind of action. And so, To be a present tense command would indicate like continual, ongoing, regular. This should just be a continual thing in our life that we are filled up with the very Spirit of God, right? Like it's not just we we receive the Spirit uh, upon our conversion into Christ and now we 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 don't have the you know we don't have to worry about it anymore no it's like every day allow the spirit to have room and space and place in your life to lead you and to guide you so continually be filled with the spirit um so that you're walking by the spirit and in fact that idea of walking by the spirit that shows up in Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 5 really along with this that's sort of like the pre- prerequisite biblical command. Like, in order for us to carry out all the other commands, we need to carry out this command. If we're going to have the the wisdom and the power and the strength to do what Paul teaches us elsewhere in the letter, we're going to need to be filled with the Spirit. So, Christian living is life in the Spirit, life full of the Spirit. And so, allow the Spirit to completely fill your life so that you're controlled by Him. That's the idea. Be filled by the Spirit, And then what Paul does in the next three verses is he gives three participles that describe the outcome of being filled by the Spirit. They're not the only outcomes of being filled by the Spirit. They're just the ones that Paul has at the top of his mind for his purposes at this point in his letter. And so, obviously, one of the outcomes of being filled with the Spirit or walking with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He doesn't mention that here. He's already talked about some of those things earlier in the letter anyhow. Here he has different outcomes in mind, and they seem to have to do with life together in the Christian 
uh, community, life together in the community of faith. And so four participles that describe the outcomes of being filled with the Spirit. The first one is speaking, speaking, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's the first outcome, that as we, as God's people, are filled with the Spirit, then we'll speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This doesn't mean that we always have to be chanting or singing to each other in the community of faith. It just means that when we're gathered together as God's people in our assembly, that's what he's focusing on. When we're gathered together in our corporate worship experience, when we're gathered together in whatever um and whatever context we gather as God's people, one of the ways the Spirit will uh, evidence himself among us is that we'll sing. In fact, that's the second participle, singing and making melody, right? Like singing. Well, and so part of the way we'll instruct each other, encourage each other, build each other up is through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. that we, The psalms, obviously, the psalms of the Old Testament, hymns about God, anthems about who God is and what God has done and God's great saving grace and God's great saving acts and spiritual songs, songs that are motivated by and inspired by the very spirit of God at work in us and among us. So we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll encourage each other and challenge each other and spur one another on to love and good deeds by speaking to one another through song. That's one of the things we'll do. The second participle is, as I mentioned, singing, singing and making melody um, with your heart to the Lord. So not only will we speak to one another in song, we'll sing to God in song. So some of our songs will have sort of a an encouraging, uh, educational, challenging effect for believers. Some of our songs will be directed directly at God and will will express our gratitude and our praise and our thankfulness to God. So singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord for everything he's done for us. The third participle is giving thanks giving thanks. And so verse 20 says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And so uh, when the Spirit is at work in us individually and among us corporately, it's going to show up in thanksgiving. There's going to be a lot of gratitude. There's going to be a lot of prayers of thanksgiving. We're going to express how grateful we are for God, for his blessings in our life, for uh, his presence in our life, for the spiritual blessings like Paul listed off in Ephesians 1. There's going to be giving of thanks. It's, he says always. It's just going to be regular and routine. Um, we could probably get better at that. We could probably be more filled with the Spirit so that there's more thanksgiving um, in our assemblies and in our gatherings and in our Christian conversations, always giving thanks for all things. Notice that, always doing it for all different kinds of things. And we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, like as a representative of him, as, you know, under the, the authority of Jesus, because of Jesus, um, to God, even the Father. So always giving thanks. And then verse 21, the fourth participle is, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Being subject to one another. Like we we uh, are submissive to each other is the idea. The word being subject is the word to arrange yourself under. So that in the Christian community, in the community of faith, there is a spirit of deference towards each other. Like we yield to each other. We give way to each other. Um, 
we're not self-assertive, we're not brash, we're not always trying to get our own way, right? Like we're not uh, full of selfish ambition. We're yielding to each other. Uh, we're, we're giving ourselves to each other. We're listening to each other. We're willing to let somebody else go first. There's the spirit of deference in the community of faith. So we're submitting ourselves to each other. We're arranging ourselves uh, under each other, and we're doing so in the fear of Christ, out of reverence for Jesus, knowing that uh, I have a master who's in charge of me, and you have the same master who's in charge of you. It doesn't matter our social class, our social standing. You know, by society standards, I may have a higher class than you. It doesn't matter. I'm willing to yield to you and listen to you and defer to you because we both have the same Lord and the same master, Jesus. And so we're submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of of Christ. And that submitting ourselves to one another then becomes the kind of the main verb in the very next sentence, implied and inferred. We'll talk about that in our next session that begins to talk about the Christian family, that there's various ways the submitting might play out uh, among us. And it'll look different depending on our our roles that we play in life, it'll look different. The submitting will look, it's going to look different, he says, for wives and it will for husbands. But there's a give and take. There's a, a deference. There's a yielding and a submitting to each other. It's going to look different for slaves and masters. But there's a, a giving and a yielding. So in all the different ways that uh, we carry out our life, all the different roles we play as the people of God, we're going to yield to each other. We're going to defer to each other rather than be self-assertive and brash and full of selfish ambition. We're submitting ourselves to each other. Now, with that in mind, then, again, just a couple implications, high-level implications, plenty to apply out of that section. But let me just point out a few things that we ought to at least reflect on and consider as we, we uh, prayerfully think through what does this text say to us. And the first implication I would point out is this, that being filled with the Spirit is more down-to-earth than some people might want to have us think. Being filled with the Spirit is more down to earth than, than some people want to have us think. Here in this text, it has to do with living in wisdom. It has to do with making the most of our time. It has to do with speaking to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It has to do with giving thanks for all things. It has to do with submitting to one another, deferring to one another. All these things are pretty down to earth. And they have less to do with like visionary experiences and ecstatic prayer experiences, right? Like those things might be appropriate in certain contexts, whatever. That's that's just not what Paul talks about here. In fact, when he talks about walking by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, he never talks about those things. He always talks about our everyday, ordinary life. And that's why I say one of the implications of this is that being filled with the Spirit is more down-to-earth than some would have us think. It has to do with how we live our everyday, ordinary life um, individually as well as corporately as God's people and the way we interact with each other and the way we relate to one another and how we speak amongst ourselves and what we talk about, what we don't talk about, and how we give thanks to God for all the good things he's done. Being filled with the Spirit affects our down-to-earth ordinary life. That's the first implication. Second implication is that the will of the Lord is the way of wisdom. The will of the Lord is the way of wisdom. Don't get so caught up in this idea of, oh, is that the, am I in the center of God's will? Oh, I got to figure out God's will. And, you know, should I marry this person? Is that God's will? Should I take this job? Is that God's will? Don't get so caught up with that that 
like you're praying and waiting for like God to make it clear. Like you're waiting for God to tap you on the shoulder and say, go here, do that. I actually had a friend a number of years ago who had been dating this gal, good Christian gal, loved Jesus, faithful to him. He was a Christian guy, right? They enjoyed each other's company. He wanted to marry her, but he said, I haven't heard the Lord tell me that it's his will for me to marry her yet. It's like, what do you need the Lord to say? You're both walking with Jesus. You both love Jesus. You are compatible. You get along. You work together in ministry well. The Lord's made it pretty clear that, that that's a good thing in his word. So what are you waiting for? Just make a wise choice. Sounds like you're already there, right? Like the will of the Lord is the way of wisdom. Um, and God's goal is not to have to tell his children everything they need to do. Oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do that. His goal is to bring us to maturity um, as his children so that we can make wise decisions in keeping with his word and in keeping with his will. And so as we grow in the knowledge of God in Christ, as we're more saturated in the text of Scripture, and our mind is more formed by the worldview and the thoughts and the values and the purposes of God revealed in Scripture, we're able to make wise decisions that are in keeping with the Scriptures. And so um, the, the will of the Lord is the way of wisdom as he forms us in his word. We're able to make wise decisions. And so here... That he says, walk as wise men, have wisdom in the way you live and you, the way you apply God's word to your life, the way you think about situations in your life. That's God's will for you. That's how you understand and have insight into what the will of the Lord is. Hey, it's John. Thanks for checking out this session of the listener's commentary. I pray it's super helpful to your understanding of the Bible and your ability to follow Jesus. What many people don't know is that the listener's commentary is an entirely crowdfunded project, which means it's made possible by the generosity of supporters just like you. And so thank you to every one of you who supports the project. And if you want to help support this project so that it can continue to grow and expand and I can continue to produce these commentaries, just swing on over to the listenerscommentary.com, click give, and you can support right through there. Thanks so much.